I'm going to read the scriptures. I'm reading from John's Gospel. John chapter 1. And then after this reading, I'm going to invite one of the ladies to call out a favourite hymn and we'll sing two verses of it. And then we'll have one of the men and then we'll have one of the young people. John chapter 1. You found the place. Let's hear the word of the Lord. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness. And the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of that light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them give he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We'll end the reading there at verse 14. And we pray the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text tonight is taken from John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Now my theme tonight is a great light shining in gross darkness. John chapter 1 verses 4 to 5 forms some of the most profound and remarkable words in the whole of the Bible. I want you to notice how John begins his gospel. He begins it stating the fact that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. You see, in these verses, the Apostle John is affirming the fundamental truth that Jesus Christ is the eternal word. In the beginning takes us back to Genesis 1 and 1, when God created the heaven and the earth. The verb was indicates that at the beginning of the universe, the eternal word already was in existence. There never was a time when the Word was not. And we read, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
Here's one of the nine explicit references in the Bible that prove that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. We realize tonight that such a bold assertion is often attacked. Virtually all heresies down the ages to this present day either deny the full and essential deity of Jesus Christ as the only begotten incarnate Son of God, or they deny his true humanity. The heretic Arius and his modern disciples, the Jehovah Witnesses, argue that Jesus Christ is not eternal, that Jesus Christ is not God in the flesh. They argue that he's but a created being. Of course, John nails the lie, because not only was the word with God in the beginning, the word was God. Jesus Christ is the second person of the Holy Trinity. The word existed in the most closest possible connection to his heavenly Father. The eternal word is not a, a mere influential idea. It's certainly not a philosophical concept, but he's a real, true living person with a distinct personality from the Father. And the Word was God. Not saying that there was something divine about Jesus. He's not attempting to, to water it down. Jesus is not a God or, or, or a sort of a God or, or semi-divine. But the Word was God. So get into your mind, the eternal word predates the beginning. He's co-eternal with the Father. He's co-equal with the Father. He's another person. There's two persons mentioned here in this text. And he's co-essential with the Father. And he tells us something else in verse 3. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And then he tells us this most profound, remarkable statement in verses 4 and 5. He's telling us something more about Christ. Not only that Christ predates the beginning, that he's eternal. Not, not only that he, he, he existed as the eternal word with a distinct personality, one who's co-equal with the Father, co-essential because he's God in the flesh, but he's also the creator of the universe. And now he's telling us something more about him. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. You see, isn't it wonderful tonight that in the gospel we can tell men and women that God provided and sent into the world not some sort of superman, not, not, not one of the archangels, not, not a cherubim or a seraphim. He sent his only begotten son. God became a man. Great is the mystery of Godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. He's a unique person with two distinct natures and one person forever. That's why John said in verse 14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now tonight I want us to think of these words in verses 4 and 5 in particular. And I want us to think of three things. 
I want you to think of the source of life. It says in him was life. And the life was the light of man. It's interesting that John uses the word life 36 times in his gospel. And it's usually connected to the word everlasting or eternal, and they both mean the same things. The other three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's interesting that in relation to using the word life, they only use it 12 times between them. Mentioned four times each. But John, he uses it 36 times. And one of the things that he tells us about Christ, in him was life. And life, of course, is one of the universal properties of our world. We could think tonight of animal life, who gives breath and life to the animals. Plant life. How does that exist? We could think about our own physical life. And remember the Bible tells us in him we move and live and have our being. We could also think tonight about spiritual life. And if we contrast with this natural word order, nothing grows or is sustained in the world without light and without heat. Without the light and the heat rays of the sun. This world would become a a frozen planet. And here's John. And as he introduces Christ. Not the way the other gospels did. He's writing in AD 90. And he tells us by way of a positive statement. In him was life. And I want to say tonight. That outside of him there is no life. He tells us in In him, not only was life, but the life was the light of man. And outside of him and apart from him and without him, there's darkness. So in him there's life. And outside of him there's the opposite. There's death. In him is light. And outside of him there's the opposite. Which is darkness. And tonight, of course, I'm not going to talk from this pulpit about animal life or plant life or even physical life. I'm thinking primarily of spiritual life. I'm thinking tonight of those in our community, our family circles and beyond, who are outside of Christ and who don't feel their need of him. Why? Who don't see their need of him. Why? And here's the answer. Those who don't feel their need of him are dead in trespasses and sins. And those who don't see their need of him, that is, can't see and understand that they're sinners and they've got a soul and they they, they need to be saved, can't grasp that. The reason is they're in spiritual darkness. For all who are outside of Christ, without Christ, they're spiritually dead and in spiritually darkness. And they need to learn and discover this fact that the source of life and light is in Christ and in Christ alone. Do you know tonight that life is not found in the church, in any church? It's certainly not found in yourself by your own strength and power and ability. It's not found in religious observances or ceremonies, neither in baptism nor um, 
communion or, 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 or confirmation or confession. Why? Because outside of Christ, men and women are dead to God. And they're in spiritual darkness as far as having spiritual light and spiritual light is concerned. Remember what God said to Adam, Genesis 2, 17. In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Whenever Adam sinned in the garden, Adam died. Now, now what does that mean? You think of the body that Adam had, that God made for him, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. He lived on for hundreds of years after that, in that same body, the body in which he had sinned. He didn't die immediately in that body. Of course, a slow death had started. The aging process had begun. We think about a soul. A soul never dies. The soul's immortal. We believe in the immortality of the soul. So what, is it, what did God mean? In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. In dying, thou shalt die. I, I believe, of course, in the trichotomy of man. Um, that's to do with the fact that, that man is a tripartite being. He's made up of body, soul, and spirit. And I believe that when Adam partook of that fruit from the hand of his wife and disobeyed God and plunged this world into a state of sin and misery and, and fell and we fell in him, Adam's spirit became dead to God. The life of God was cut off immediately. And of course, that's why the Lord Jesus said to Nicodemus, marvel not that I say unto thee, you need to be born again. And Nicodemus, like Adam, needed an infusion of life. At the moment he was cut off from God, he had no life, and he had no light without him. If all physical life is in him, then all spiritual life is also in him. And only he can impart that life. Sin has rendered you dead and to God and in spiritual darkness. And what you need is to be Spiritually resurrected, spiritually regenerated to God. Apart from Christ and outside of Christ, this is the condition of all men. I want to ask the question, have you been born again of the Holy Spirit? Have you been made a new creature in Christ? Have you been made alive to God with your consciousness of your sin and you've got a soul and you need to be saved? Have you realized that you're dead to God? Have you realized that you're in darkness in a spiritual sense and you have a longing for new life? Where do we find eternal life? In him as life. And, and that's further expanded. We, 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 we read uh, these words in uh, John chapter um, 3 and verse 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. It, it, isn't that a tremendous uh, statement? A tremendous statement. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, the Bible says, but have eternal life. There was a man one time in hospital. He was not very well, and the doctors had told him he wasn't going to recover. 
So he asked the nurse to do something for him, and she said, what is it? He called his name Robert. And he says, I want you to read to me a few verses from the Bible. The nurse was very hesitant and reluctant to do it, but she thought of his condition, heard the news that he had got, he wasn't going to recover. And she thought, well, okay, I'll pull the screens here and I'll, I'll read a few verses. So she said to him, well, well, Robert, where do you want me to read? And he says, I want you to read from John 5, and I want you to read verse 24. I read verse 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my words and believeth in him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. He said to her, would you read it again? Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. She read it three or four times. And then he said, there's another wee verse that I want you to read to me. And it's from 1 John chapter 5. She didn't know where that was in the Bible, but he was able to direct her. And he says, I want you to read verse 11. And it says, and this is the record, that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. And in those verses, Robert was comforted. He got the assurance. He remembered in him is life. And that life is in his son. And of course, when he died, he, he went to be with the Lord. And that dear nurse, she never forgot that. She was troubled. She was convicted. She, she struggled with that. But four years later, she got converted. And she testified in her local church that it was through reading the Bible to a dying man, two verses of scripture, thinking of the words of eternal life, that this man died in Christ with the assurance that he had eternal life. There was an infidel on one occasion. He hated Christ in the gospel. He denied the existence of God. He denounced Christ. He too was diagnosed with a terminal illness. He was dying. There was no hope of recovery. And the villagers came. They, they gave him gifts of food. They, they, they helped him whatever way they can. Many of believers, of course, asked him if the minister could come and, and talk to them. And he said, well, I suppose he could come and talk to me, but I don't want him to preach. If he starts preaching, I'll put him out. So they, they said to the minister, and he said, well, I'll call with him. So, so the minister called. And... Um, in the course of the conversation, the minister said, have you got your funeral arrangements made? And he says, well, well maybe you would do them for me. And the minister says, well, I'll very happily do that. He says, tell me this, if you were to die, or when you die, um, what do you want me to preach at your funeral? What do you want me to say? You don't believe in God. You've denounced Christ in this village for years. You don't believe the Bible to be the word of God. You don't believe in heaven and hell. You don't believe you've got a soul that you're a sinner. So, so what do you want me to say? And you know what he said? Tears rolling down his face. He says, I want you to preach Christ. Now, wasn't that amazing? I want you to preach Christ. And I want you to tell them to repent and believe the gospel. That's exactly what that minister did at that funeral. 
Let me ask a question. What value do you put in Christ tonight? If the Bible's true, and it says in him is life, and the life was the light of men, what value do you put in Christ? Is he your life? Have you got eternal life? Was there a time when you repented and believed the gospel? Is he your light tonight? Remember the Lord Jesus came into the world saying, I am the light of the world. The source of life. I want you to think secondly, if you look at our text, of the shining of the light. It says here, and the light shineth in darkness. Now, it's interesting because over in the gospel of Isaiah, we read these words in Isaiah 9 and verse 2. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Now, when the Lord Jesus came into the world, after his birth, at the age of 30, when he started his ministry, these words were quoted. Turn over there to uh, Luke, sorry, turn over to Matthew. Matthew chapter 4, and look with me, I think it's the verse 14. Matthew chapter 4. Yes, it says here, We'll get the context. Verse 12. Now when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the sea coast in the border of Zebulun and at Naphtali. Look at verse 14. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying. Now what did Isaiah the prophet say? 700 years before Christ. Look at verse 15. The land of Zebulun... And the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw great light. And to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, life has sprung up. And then we read in verse 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And over there again in the gospel of Isaiah, I call that the gospel deliberately. We read in Isaiah 60, Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. Arise and shine, for thy light is come. Why? Because there's darkness that has covered the earth. There's gross darkness in the hearts and minds of the people. Isaiah said the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. I want you to think tonight of the darkness of this world. Do we not live in a day of moral darkness? Think about the call for abortion and demand. Violation of the sixth commandment. Thou shalt not kill. The killing of the unborn in the womb. A separate little life to the mother. Life begins at conception. You, you think of the, the call today for same-sex marriage. The, the call for transgenderism to be taught to primary school children in Northern Ireland as it is in Scotland by the law of the Scottish Parliament. 
You, you, you think of the attack in the family unit, the, the breakup of marriages. Is this not a day of sinful darkness? You, you think of the breaking of the Sabbath day. Drunkenness, homosexuality, harlotry, thieving, murders, lies, extortion, smuggling, fraud. C- could I go on? Jealousy and pride and all the rest. Isn't this a day of sp- social darkness? You think of the anarchy. Think of what we're witnessing in Paris at the moment. Millions tonight sitting in darkness. Gross darkness. Great darkness with no light and no life. Is this not a day of ecumenical or ecclesiastical darkness? Where there's apostasy. And in churches tonight, institutions that were open to the glory of God, Bible colleges and individual denominations, and they have in their pulpits blind leaders of the blind. And they deny the, the infallibility and errantship of the scriptures. They deny the deity of Christ. They, they, they deny heaven and hell. They, they deny the, the uh, immortality of the soul. They deny even the subject of sin. They deny the living in the true God and his virgin birth of Christ and so many other things. This is a day of great darkness, a day of gross darkness. It's thick, it's heavy. And where does the light shine? Look at at verse 5. And the light shineth in darkness, in the very place of the darkness, in this moral darkness, in this spiritual darkness, in this sinful darkness, in this ecclesiastical darkness, the light shines. Oh, there's thousands in darkness tonight. And their great need is to see a light. You see, when Christ appears, there is light. Whenever he withdraws, there's darkness. I'm amazed that we think about the dens of iniquity, uh, the pubs and the nightclubs. Aren't they always dimly lit? Do you ever think why? Think of streets in London, I'm told. I've never been down them, but some of them are, are dimly lit. Do you know why? Because men love darkness. Why? Because the Bible tells us their deeds are evil. They hate the light. And in this dark world, with this gross, great darkness, the Lord Jesus came on a mission of mercy. He came to where the darkness was. And he came to shine. And he came because souls were in danger. And he demanded of souls to do something. He gave them a, a, a duty, a responsibility. Repent ye and believe the gospel. He came not because we deserve it. He came because of grace and love and mercy. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Grace, she remembers, not just God's riches at Christ's expense. It's much more than that. It's God's undeserved favor to lawbreakers and criminals. Think about the properties of the light. Not only the power of the light, but the properties of the light. What does the word shineth mean? Do you know that light detects? Doesn't the Bible say, Our secret sins and the light of thy countenance? Psalm 90 verse 8. You see, the light penetrates. The light causes the secrets to be made known. It causes an uncovering, an exposure. It discovers something. If you go out to the garden and lift some of your stones or lift some of the concrete blocks, you'll see worms and millipedes and centipedes and wood lice. And when the light shines, they scurry away. 
And you see, that's what the word of God does. The, the word of God comes and the light of God and it searches out our thoughts, our, our habits, the, the, the inward recesses of the soul. The light detects. The light directs. Doesn't the Bible say the path of the just is a shining light that shineth more and more unto a perfect day? Proverbs 4 and 18. Think of Pilgrim's Progress. He was asked, do you see yonder light? Yeah, that's shining light. He said, I do. This was an evangelist saying to Pilgrim coming out of the city of destruction. He says, fix your eyes in that light. Go straight toward it. And when you get to the light, find the gate and knock on the door and you'll be told what to do. And of course, that's the gate of true conversion. And the light to the way of true conversion is found in Christ. The light disciplines. Isn't God called the father of lights in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning? And when the light comes, isn't our vision affected? Isn't our vision corrected? The darkness distorts our vision. But God, who's the father of lights, is without shadow of turning. I think of the light of the sun. I think of the light of the sun of righteousness. The light disciplines. And also the light delights. Do you know the Bible says, In thy light we shall see light. Proverbs 3 and 9. The light projects itself. Throws itself forward. Remember the word of God is a light to our feet and a light to our path. A light in a dark place. A marvelous and wonderful light. You think of a traveler tonight on a journey. He's on a road. It's dark. It's windy. It's cold. He's nobody with him. He has no light. Could you imagine walking in some of the country roads in Northern Ireland? Would there not be a tad bit of fear and a thought in your heart and mind about getting home safely? But suppose you're a traveller and you've got a light. You've got a big bright torch. And it's big and powerful enough to, to light up the whole of the road. And what a comfort it is. You're no longer fearful. You've got faith in the power of the light. And as long as the light shines, you have comfort in your soul. You see, in thy light, we shall see light. These are some of the properties of the light. I want to finish tonight. I want you to think of the supremacy of the light. It says in John 1 and verse 5, And the darkness comprehendeth it not. Now, now what does that mean, the word comprehendeth? It means to grasp mentally. And the darkness comprehendeth it not. That, that means the darkness does not know him. The darkness can't mentally grasp him. The darkness can't understand him. It's, it, it's, it's meaningless to them. You think of the purpose and the power and the properties of the light. It also means to overcome. The darkness cannot overcome the light. The darkness can't master the light. The darkness can't beat, beat the light. You think of darkness over the face of the deep. God comes and what does he say? Let there be light. And there was light. And the darkness couldn't prevent the light from shining. You think of a dark room. You come in, switch on the light. Who loses? The darkness does. The darkness can't prevail. The darkness can't stop the light. The darkness can't fight back. Now tonight as we close, you focus on Christ coming to earth. Focus on Christ in the crib as the light 
and the light of the world. You think of Christ and the tree. In the battle and conflict of ages, the battle between Christ and the powers of darkness. And remember, of course, on the cross he was crucified. Not because the people had the mastery over him, but because he voluntarily and willingly set his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem and sacrifice himself even unto the death and the shedding of his blood because he knew that he had come to conquer and overcome the darkness. You think of Christ in the tomb tonight. The tomb's empty. As I said this morning, you'll not find the body. Why? Because he has risen from the dead. You, you, you think of Christ tonight in the preaching of the word of God. How many tonight sit and listen to gospel services and they're, they're not interested. They, they have no desire. They, they're, they're wandering in their thoughts. They're, they're not really listening. They're, they're switched off. And that's an attempt and a fight by the darkness to, 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 to take away the light. But you know it's a folly. Because if you're already dead and in darkness, then you need light and you need light. And it's a great folly to reject it. It's madness to reject it. And of course there's a failure in the darkness. Because the darkness can't grasp mentally or understand Christ coming into the world. And the darkness can't overcome him. There's a personal and a powerful message. This life is bestowed the moment you trust Christ. The moment you receive him as Lord and Savior. It's bestowed via the new birth. It's bestowed on the ground of our Savior's blood. And I want to ask tonight as we finish, you think of that Passover night. The blood mark on the door of the houses of the children of Israel. It was either the death mark or the blood mark. And if your time to leave this world had come tonight, would it be the blood mark upon you? Or would it be the death mark? The supremacy of the light. The light not only shines, but the light is supreme because the darkness can't overcome or mentally grasp or understand the workings of the light. And that's true of Christ in relation to the church. And therefore the church is a future as long as the light of the world lives and reigns. May the Lord take these few thoughts and bless them to you tonight in the gospel.